Hey, Sid. Hey, Dad. So, we are not true criming tonight. No, we're not. This episode is going to be a little bit different. Okay. Because, believe it or not, I actually don't like talking about murder all the time. Really? Okay. I know. It's a surprise. <laughs> Tell me more about that, Sydney. Are you going to so, use my therapist skills now? Yes. I okay. have been deep diving on Reddit recently. Okay. And there's so many different like forums. We're going to be reading from all of them. Okay. I have a mixture of relationship advice, just crazy psycho stories. There's like r slash off my chest. That one has a lot of really juicy, crazy stuff. Did he cheat or did I catch an STD from a koala? Oh, he cheated. People pooping themselves to lighten the mood. I shit myself four times in rush hour traffic. We're just gonna, we're, okay. we have it all today. Just following you till there. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I, I'm excited to do this with you because as you guys know, Tony is a therapist. Like a real one. Like a real life one. Which 17 years I've been doing crazy. this now. Crazy. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So I I really like giving advice to my friends, but I always warn them before it's not good. Never really good advice. But you've come to me though, and we've, we've broken down some things. I really do think that you have a really good head on your shoulders for this. And we've helped some of your friends. And so I appreciate, I think you take my therapy advice uh, not for granted. Yeah. I try When I'm editing your TikToks, it like goes into my subconscious. Okay. Oh, that's funny. I so forget it's that. not by choice, but I do, I do <laughs> hear a lot of therapy while I'm editing. So yeah. I think it subconsciously goes into my actions. So what's funny to me is does, and I'm not, you know, part of the things you probably edit, I'm not looking for validation, but do you feel like it, a, a lot, most Someone of it makes sense? Someone looking for validation. That's, I know if somebody <laughs> says that, that, that's what they're basically doing, right? No, I don't even care, but you can tell me how awesome you like the TikToks. <laughs> I don't even care at all, but like they're really good, right? Right. But okay. But are there things that you ever think, I don't know if I agree with that, honestly. Um, no, you know, what's funny is like, I'm just, I'm kind of slow with, with therapy I guess sure. I don't know yeah. so like sometimes I'll be editing it and I won't understand like it won't click for me until I've edited it for like two hours and then I'm like oh my god that's what he means that okay. is so good and real <laughs> but I appreciate it because again I really wasn't I promise you I wasn't looking for validation but I did 10 years in a career I did not give a crap about to then get into this one as a therapist and so for 17 years I've been doing what I actually like like that's advice right there alone I never knew how much I could actually like the thing that I do so then uh, everyone find the thing that you like for real because when I was in the software industry for a decade I just didn't really care but I didn't even know how much I didn't care I just thought well nobody cares about their job Mm -hmm. but I love what I do Mm -hmm. so I, I dig it so this is why I'm so pumped about this yeah, your whole like career change thing, I think is really inspiring. I think it's like definitely a social stigma that you can only be one thing or you're yeah. supposed to decide what you are like as soon as you're in college or Which out of is college. Insane. Catch me like I'm going to be I'm going to be a lawyer in ten- no, oh. not. But like I don't know what I'm going to where I'm going to be in 10 no. years. You and know I don't what? think you That's should. normal, I feel yeah. like. And and honestly, okay, I love starting out here because I personally have this theory that if somebody is a lawyer or a doctor, which I'm grateful that there are good lawyers and doctors, but I don't think anybody can really know that that's what they want to do when they're a teenager. And I think that if they know that's what they want to do, it's because they've been getting validation their whole life of when they say, I want to be a doctor. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, you are a smart kid. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, that feels good. I'm, I'm going to be a doctor. And then I get to talk to the doctors when they're in their mid thirties and they have half a million dollars worth of student debt and they don't really enjoy what they're doing. But then they're thinking, well, this is what I got to do. And then you're just convincing yourself. Again, that is a not a blanket statement. There are plenty of doctors, I'm sure, that love what they do. But I get to talk to plenty of people that if they already knew, air quote, knew in their early 20s what they want to do for the rest of their life, 
If you think about it, that's kind of insane. No, yeah. Like, why are we looking at children and being like, you better have your entire plan? So I was in my mid, no, early 30s when I went back to school to be a therapist. And then I actually liked school, which I never liked before because I liked the stuff I was learning. And then I really actually liked my job a lot. Let's get into the stories. Okay. And I want you to tell me that my advice is garbage if you really think it is. I will. Don't worry. I okay. definitely That's will. True. I'm not worried about that. We're going to start tame, but <laughs> my mind, I'm it thinking, crazy. I think I know what tame means. Does it mean the real meaning of tame or is this like what the kids say? Tame Sorry. is not a slang word. <laughs> tame. Got it. Okay. Tame. Okay. So this one is from r slash relationship advice. It was posted 20 hours ago, so this is fresh. fresh. I, 30 female, accidentally dropped my husband's 31 male food, and he's still mad, and I don't know how to calm him down. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) I already feel like I've dated this man. And I have worked with the wife and the husband both. And before we get into this, I know that you have ADHD, Mm -hmm. and this is like asking a a man to give birth, but try not to interrupt, okay? We're going to... How dare you? (laughs) But what if my advice is amazing and you won't even have to finish the question because I will have already solved the problem? I'm going to read the whole story and then we're going to give our opinions. I bet you can't read the whole story. What? I think that you'll get distracted. That's probably true, but... I feel like our dog, Olive, where she gets a toy in her mouth because she's got so many big feelings. So I almost feel like I need like a toy in my mouth and I won't interrupt you because I know I'm going to want to say things. Do you need a binky? Maybe. Jesus. The best one the kids take to raves, isn't it? I'm going to be quiet. If you're just here for the Reddit stories and you want to check out the YouTube version, I'm going to put chapters in. So if we're talking for too long, you can just like skip to story one, story two, like that kind of thing. It's awesome. And in that same breath, I want to give like a shout out someone with no experience giving someone a shout out is funny, but to two hot takes. This setup is inspired by her setup because okay. she does Reddit stories with her bald dad also. You guys would be best friends. There we go. So much to talk about. Um, but yeah, she does it all by herself and it's like inspiring because I don't, okay. every time me and you are setting this up, I have a stroke. So I'm like, I don't know how she's doing okay. that. But yeah, shout out to her and let's get into the stories. So okay. this one is from r slash relationship advice. I, 30 female, accidentally dropped my husband 31 males food and he's still mad and I don't know how to calm him down. My husband and I went out to dinner and we were having a lovely time. We didn't have our phones out. We had a lovely conversation there and on the way home. But when we got home, I accidentally dropped his leftovers. He was driving, so I had my purse and his box in my hands. And I was trying to place it on the porch to reorganize myself. And the box fell onto the steps. But only a little bit of food fell out, so I thought it was fine. He flipped out and said, why would you do that? Like, accidents don't exist. And I apologized profusely. I said, only a little bit fell out. You only lost a little bit. It's okay. I'll put it in the fridge. And he said, no, it all fell out. It's all ruined. No, just this bit hit the ground and that's on the steps and this part sticking out here. It was chilly, so I start to brush off the chili sticking out with my hand to just knock it off the container. He said, just throw it out. It's fine. Throw it out. I'm not going to eat it. It's my money. I can do what I want. Actually, dear reader, it was my money. I paid for dinner tonight, and I'm currently unemployed. When he gets mad like this, he stays mad for hours. I tried to calm him down. I'm really sorry. Apologies don't matter. What can I do to make things better? Nothing. Just leave me alone. So I avoided him for hours. I watered my plants, worked on homework. Just now he was going to bed. It's five hours later, and he says, I'm hungry. I have nothing to eat. You can eat my leftovers from earlier. I don't want your leftovers. 
I'll go to Wendy's and get you more chili. I was thinking about doing that anyway. I open tomorrow. I can't wait for you. I can go to the corner store to get you some chips or a frozen dinner. No, I'll just go to bed hungry. I've learned not to fight with him when he gets mad because whenever I criticize his actions, he blames me for spinning the blame back onto him and making it his fault. I grew up in a family where no one ever apologized and I hated it. He and I used to fight a lot in the beginning and I learned quickly that I also had a problem with apologizing. I learned that you can apologize for hurting someone's feelings or reacting how you did. Apologizing isn't reserved for whoever is wrong in that situation. I really think I got better, but sometimes I think maybe I went to the other extreme. Because I'll apologize and apologize and nothing ever makes it better. I'll grovel and beg for him to forgive me, but he gets so pouty and angry and I get frustrated. Like it's been hours. Usually I let him stew overnight. He goes to work angry and it will take a full 24 hours for him to apologize for how he reacted. But when I do something wrong, I don't get to mull for an entire day because he'll be all pouty that I got angry at him. And again, I have to grovel and beg for him to forgive me because I hurt his feelings. But I was frustrated, so I said, You know, you are so goddamn stubborn. I told you not all the chili fell out. You told me to throw it away. But if you had just let me put it in the fridge, you would have had something to eat. Great, so it's my fault again, he says. I don't even remember what I said after that. It's all a blur. I think I said a few more sentences and walked away. I think I started to say that it was no one's fault. It was an accident. I just know he said something about him not wanting to hear excuses. And I said, excuses? It was a goddamn accident. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say anymore, but I'm so tired of this cycle. He just wandered into the kitchen and I hear him sniffling, which means it's time for me to grovel and beg for his forgiveness because I hurt his feelings. I don't know how to prevent these outbursts. What do I do? How do I deal with this? His love language is physical touch, but he doesn't want to be touched when he's mad. Then he gets pouty and sometimes he wants a hug, sometimes he doesn't. I went in to ask if he wanted me to get something for him to eat and he said, I just want to die. I said, I'm sorry for dropping your chili. I'm sorry you're hungry. I don't know what to do to make it better, but I'm tired of going through this cycle of getting angry for hours, me avoiding you for hours. Then I say something that upsets you. Then you get pouty. I don't know what to do. He said, you're talking about cycles. Just get out of my face. And he's all curled up in his blankets. I feel like I'm always pushing my feelings aside to cater to his. And when I've said that to him before, he responds, great. You're putting it back on me and it's my fault again. Everything is always my fault. I'm tired. Like, literally, I'm tired. I want to go to bed, but he wants me to avoid him. And if I go in there, he'll leave bed to sleep on the recliner and then complain about how he didn't sleep good and had a crappy day. We always do this song and dance. Like a few years ago, we'd just yell at each other and keep fighting, and it was always as we were falling asleep. So I'd be in bed trying to fall asleep, and we can't sleep until we talked it through because you're not supposed to go to bed mad, but we'd be awake until 2 a.m. I have begged for him to go to therapy. I go to therapy. I've been in therapy. I really thought he was close to going after his dad died, but no. I used to write him emails when he was mad so he could read my apologies, but he never did. I used to talk to my mom about it, and then he'd get mad at me for talking to my mom about us. It should be private. But therapy isn't private enough because a therapist is a stranger. I really don't think there's anything left to do on my end. I feel like I've exhausted all avenues, so I'm looking for advice. What can I improve on? Any advice on convincing him to go to therapy? I love him a lot. This is the only thing that drives me crazy. This is where we're most dysfunctional, and it doesn't happen a lot. But like overspilled chili, today was my breaking point. I have to get people involved. Okay, hold on. I have to take a few breaths. That was a very big challenge for me not to respond. And I took a whole thing full of you notes. And that was really difficult because I have so many thoughts. I think that you should have told that man to get on all fours and eat his cold chili off the floor like he deserves. 
Tony, what do you think? I don't know if as a uh, licensed marriage and family therapist, if I could offer that same advice, Sydney, but I hear you. That's why we love this dichotomy. I do, because that doesn't mean I'm not thinking it. Although I'm not, of course, because I'm a professional. Okay. Honestly, that was hard for me to listen to for really? real. Oh, because I, so I work in, okay, now we'll calm down. Uh, thank you for posting that, dear reader. No, list writer. Writer. Is that what you call him? OP. 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 What does that mean? Original poster? I Old think person? so. Okay. Old person. Yeah. <laughs> there were no euphemisms or slang that I need to know of. Like no. chilies, uh, chili, Wendy's. Yeah, chili means sex. <laughs> okay. so. I, I mean, I could just go down a whole list of things. I did do an episode one time about the don't go to bed mad. That's not actually good advice because you know what that says? What? That's saying that, okay, it sounds like he needs to get rid of his discomfort before he goes to bed so he can feel better. And she is what I would refer to as the pathologically kind. So it's like within her nature that she wants to then make him happy so we can go to bed and he needs to get rid of his discomfort before he goes to bed. So she's going to acquiesce. She's going to give in almost every time. So he goes to bed feeling better and she goes to bed feeling like crap. Mm -hmm. And so that alone, I mean, sometimes you need to go to bed to then calm down. And there was a part there where she talked about there's nothing she can do or say when he's in this kind of a mood. And I was actually looking at this a couple of nights ago. So do you know what your amygdala is in your brain? No. It's the fight or flight part. It's the part of your brain that's like they call it the reptilian or the Neanderthal part of the brain. And so when somebody starts to get angry or elevated and their heart rate starts to rise, your brain floods with this chemical called cortisol. And so at one point I was involved with this amazing place that does brain scans and you could put this dye into your... Oh yeah, we talked about this on Murder on the Couch. Okay, we did, right? So mm -hmm. the functional brain scan where you watch the prefrontal cortex or the logical part of the brain, the light switches turn off. So the angrier this guy gets, the more victim mode he gets, the more crazy talking he's doing, he's getting himself worked up. And so he's just going right to his amygdala, his fight or flight response. So there really is nothing that she can do or say that will cause him to calm down or have that aha moment or go, oh my gosh, you're right. So it's actually the more that she tries to make sense of this nonsense, then the more he's got what I call an attack surface and he's just going to continually spin her up. Mm -hmm. And so then it's just going to eventually continue to go to this place where he's angry and she's trying to find a, a way to make sense of it or to say the right thing or to calm him down or I'll get more chilly or I can't believe you said that or look, it was just an accident or all those things. I can't imagine how she's feeling in her day-to-day -day life walking on eggshells around him. And that's not okay. If he can turn red because of chili, right? Like that has nothing to do with her. And it broke my heart at the end when she said, "What can I do differently?" Right. That's the problem is that she continues to try to find the thing to do. Yeah, like you can dump the chili on his head for real. And if it was an accident. He should be like, there shouldn't be a so, reaction. Well, it's funny because one of the first things I put was the reality is this is a simple one of whoops, I spilled food. And his response needs to be no problem. I care about you more than I care about food. We'll eat uh, pretty much several times even tomorrow. So this is where I think it's important to establish right now how narcissistic personality disorder, because people throw it around a lot, is a tiny percentage of the population, three or 4%. But what I maintain is that everybody is emotionally immature until they become more emotionally mature, until they get the right tools. And so what this guy's doing is he's continually, you know, there's a phrase by a therapist I really love where she said that guys are often, they want the wife in this or the spouse in this scenario to hold both his ego and his penis at the same time. 
So in one moment, desire me in the next moment, validate me in the next moment, you know, fear me in the next moment, oh, comfort me. And so that lack of emotional stability and consistency that he's providing leaves her feeling like she's got to walk on eggshells. But yet then he's just, you know, using her as like his emotional support animal. Hey, uh, I need you to make me feel better, but I'm not really sure how. So I'm going to get angry right now. I'm actually going to play victim right now. No, that still doesn't do it. Does that make sense? It's so pathetic. And I don't like saying that because I know it's like a mental issue or whatever, but it's just, it's so upsetting that the narcissist's main victim, is that what you say? Sure. Is the person that they love the most or that cares about them the most. That cares about them the most. And that's twisted. There's a friend of mine named Ross Rosenberg who wrote a book called Human Magnus Syndrome. And he identified it as it's this, you know, within I say the pathologically kind gets together with the emotionally immature or narcissistic person. And they form this human magnet. And it's the harder that the nice person tries, then the more that the emotionally immature person has this data to use to manipulate that person. And so what really frustrates me here too is that, you know, let me kind of even back it up. So I'm just going to say the emotionally immature person. So I'm going to say it's him in this scenario. So to the bless his heart credit, he didn't grow up seeing a healthy relationship modeled. I guarantee you that. So he didn't see his own parents taking ownership or accountability of things. Basically, you grow up with this, uh, no, I, I, it can't be my fault or else then you're going to leave me. So instead, then I need to take the one up position and make you feel bad because that was most likely what he saw modeled, you know, in his, right? They're so scared of someone leaving them yes. being the reason yes. that yes. someone yes. leaves that they have to convince themselves yeah. that they're never in the they're wrong. They're never in the wrong. Because if I'm in the wrong, you may leave me. And that's why I do so much work with helping people take ownership or accountability of things. And it's weird. And I bet people watching this are going to identify that they're in a relationship with somebody that literally cannot say, I'm sorry. And I've mm-hmm. watched, I watch it in my office where you watch the person. I've seen this. It, it is. And, and so they can't because it's, they just all of a sudden are like, well, okay, but it's because of this. Or, well, if you wouldn't have spilled this, well, okay, well, you, you went and talked to the therapist or how can I trust you? I mean, and it's just crazy. And so when I go over into the world of emotional immaturity, I've got these five things that I say so often. When she says, what can I do? I say five things. Number one, raise your emotional baseline, which is my concept of self care. So when we're feeling down, I say our baseline of emotions lowers to the point where sometimes we can't even reach the tools we need to advocate for ourselves or to stay present or, you know, that sort of thing. But all your decisions are coming at you still from the same level. So the lower your emotional baseline drops, the more you're in this position where you sometimes don't even feel like you can do anything. And then the second thing I do is say, get your PhD in gaslighting, you know, because the gaslighting is where somebody's just making you feel crazy about just your regular normal thoughts. And then from that one, I say, get out of unhealthy conversations because they're not going anywhere. The fourth thing I talk about is set healthy boundaries. So if he's going to start doing this crazy stuff, I'm going to walk away. Now, the unfortunate part is to know that when you set boundaries with an emotionally immature person, they are going to view that as a challenge. So they're going to try to push them even more. But the fifth thing, Sid, is the you will never give that person the aha moment or the epiphany. And that's what the nice person keeps doing. Mm -hmm. But it was just chilly or but I'll get you more or, you know, I think we should go to therapy or and just so, trying to de-escalate the situation, yeah, but that's what they want That's you what to they do. want, yeah, because then they view that as the attack surface. And then it's like, oh, you think that I'm crazy? Well, you were telling your sister, your mom, or... And then while that person is just trying to, like I said, de-escalate, yeah. at the same time, it's then validating the narcissist because it it's like... Yes, I am the victim. Yes, I'm the victim. Oh, like, yeah, I'm feel the victim. bad for me. Like, and, then I, and then I often say, too, I wrote down this thing when she said, you know, this only happens sometimes. I am convinced. And again, I've worked with well over 1,500 couples for long periods of time. People will often say, like, maybe these guys would come in and see me or that she would and say, but, you know, but but it's been it's been pretty good. Like, we're doing okay now. And I'll say, okay, 
good or is it the absence of bad? Has it been a little while since you had a dust up? And I continually say, Sid, that, that good is not the absence of bad. So when people get angry and they get super uncomfortable and they want to get rid of their discomfort at some point after some silent treatment, the nice person, or if he wants, you know, again, his something with his penis, then he's going to say, Hey, I'm sorry. And then she might, I well, she, that feels better. So, okay. Yeah, me too. But if I was working with her, I would say, this is where we need to introduce positive tension. Sorry about what? He's like, look, I'm, I said, I'm sorry. Like, you know what? Things got a little out of hand. Well, tell me more about that. Like, what are you sorry for? You know why? And and usually they'll say, look, I said, I'm sorry. Look, what do you want me to do? And then we're back, you know? But so the absence of bad, it doesn't mean that we're good because when people then get rid of that discomfort and they have the silent treatment and then they say, are we okay? And they'll say, yeah, okay, let's hug it out. And then that's where the whole concept of makeup sex comes into play. And now we really feel connected, but then you're creating this dynamic where you have to have this complete lack of connection, no resolution. And then we get together and we're okay because we got rid of our discomfort Mm -hmm. and you do that long enough over and over. And then, you know, you just kind of start to feel like, well, that's what relationships are. And they are not that. No, I mean, not at all. Anyway. Oh, I keep going. I feel like that falls under the same idea of you don't know what you don't have or yes. you start to forget maybe what so you put up you with had. that stuff right yeah and that's super yeah. sad because like i imagine women or or men like years into an abusive relationship like you said once you have a week where nothing bad is happening yes you're like we're good you suddenly think oh this is my prince charming again yeah. this is great like i love this but but the you're walking on eggshells is, too you know yeah like your relationship should never have to dip that low for you to feel good for it to be at base level you know what i mean like a relationship should always be not always be good but it should always be healthy yeah yeah well and that okay that leads me to another very big thing about communication do you want should we go there let's go there okay i want to lay this foundational principle and by the way there's this part of me sid that i've got this uh workshop that teaches people what they don't know that they don't know and i almost wanted to say okay somebody this person please reach out to me and i will give you this whole workshop for free because this person needs to know what they don't know but is that crazy that's so old man of you to okay, think is it? that this is it? random lady is watching no, this video. You're right. You're right. But how bad do I want to help, Sid? Okay, so here's the deal. So he has a good heart. I do. So tiny tangent, but when you become a therapist, kind of I don't I don't feel that most people come out of grad school wanting to work with couples. You just think you want to work with some individuals because that's a little bit easier. But then when you get a tool that you can use that really helps couples, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. So I have a framework. There's a type of therapy called emotionally focused therapy, EFT. And it's like the most solid evidence-based couples therapy model. It's based on attachment styles as a kid. You know, your attachment styles as you go into relationships, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, disorganized attachment, all this stuff. But so then I, I'm hundreds and hundreds of couples into my practice when I start saying, okay, I need a tool. Like th- this is a, this isn't about people coming to me to weigh in and give judgment. I am the Sherpa and here's the, here's the formula. This is like, and I help people communicate. You're the a, Sherpa? Yeah. Do you isn't, know what that is? Isn't that a, a blanket? Yes, I am the blanket. Your, no, I'm the, I'm the, guy, I'm the person who guides them. I am the person who guides you on your climb of Mount Everest. That's like the Sherpa. They're going to take you and, and uh, guide you because eventually the couples therapy isn't about me. And so many people come in and they basically just want you to tell them which one is right, which one is wrong. That's not going to get anywhere. So I've got these four pillars of a connected conversation and this is gold. And then there's even a pre-pillar. So there's a concept in communication. It's by this guy named Marshall Rosenberg and it's called nonviolent communication. But what one of the tenets of it is that we all make an observation of somebody doing something and then we put a judgment with it. So if I observe that somebody's, I don't know, do you ever just like to people watch? 
So we were at a restaurant one time with your brother-in-law, who I love, Mitch, and we were just like watching people. And then I was telling him about this concept and I said, so like, watch this. And I look over and there's a rather unattractive guy with a very attractive woman. So then I'm making that observation. So what's my judgment? Again, I'm owning that there's a judgment there. He must have a lot of money because why would she like him? I mean, I'm totally... Or he's a munch. I don't know what that means. You don't have to ask. Just continue. Okay, continue. But I mean, and I'm saying that, that we kind of all do this. So, so one of the first things you have to do, if it made you laugh, I, I, I'm going to have to go Google this thing, right? Or then we'll, okay. <laughs> but so we do this. And so, so even when we see our, our partner, our spouse, our friend or whatever doing something, we kind of naturally make a judgment about what they're doing. And I think it's just important to recognize that because then if we say, Hey, what are you doing? And they say anything other than what we think they're doing, we think they're not even being honest with themselves. But that gets to my pillar one, which is assuming good intentions. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, how can I ruin my partner's day? So I really don't think that that guy thought, oh, I know what I'll do. We got chili and leftovers. I'm going to hope that she drops them and then I'm going to just like make fun of her incessantly and make her feel bad. I don't believe somebody starts off that way. So that's the assuming of good intentions. But then there's like a part B to that, which is, or there's a reason why people do or say the things they do. So I think the reason he's saying or doing the things that he is saying or doing is because he is emotionally immature. But if somebody just says, like, if you come home and your partner says, uh, man, I really don't feel like you care a lot about me. It isn't because they're thinking they want to hurt you, but there's some truth in there. They feel like something you're doing makes them feel uncared for. So then if you immediately are not assuming good intentions, and you're like, really? Well, you aren't the greatest person either. Then the conversation will go nowhere. So these four pillars are like there to help people have healthy conversations. So the second pillar is like, you can't tell the other person that they're crazy or ridiculous or wrong. Even if you think that they are crazy or ridiculous or wrong. Because again, that'll make the conversation go right out in the weeds. And then my third pillar is you need to ask questions before making comments. So if I'm assuming good intentions or there's a reason why he's saying, I can't believe you dropped the leftovers. And then I can't say, are you serious? Like, that's ridiculous. Even though I really think that's ridiculous. Then my third pillar is like, well, tell me why that bothers you. Help me understand. That one's where he's going to flounder because it's like, what's he going to say? Because... I like chili, you know, because he wants in his emotional maturity, he needs her to suddenly throw a fit or whatever, because now he won't have to take ownership of the fact that that's ridiculous that he's throwing a fit, you know? Mm -hmm. And then my fourth pillar, which is big, is that you can't go like victim. You have to stay present. So, and sometimes I'll have somebody say, okay, all right, I'm assuming good intentions. They're not trying to hurt me. And I'm not going to tell them that's ridiculous, even though I think it is. And I'm going to say, tell me more about that. And then they go into victim mode. Okay, well, I guess I just won't eat chili tonight. I mean, that's the only thing I wanted, because then they want that person to come rescue him and go, no. I'm so sorry. I'll go get you chili. And so if you look at those four pillars, I think in almost any conversation that you have with somebody that doesn't go well, you'll see where one or both of you have like violated one of those pillars. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So then when it goes back to when she was saying, what can I do? Sometimes I'll tell people, hey, if he's not up for going to counseling or therapy, here's a legitimate couples therapy technique where then I can do that. Okay. I can assume that he's not trying to hurt me. He's emotionally immature. And I can't tell him that that's ridiculous that, you know, it's just an accident, even though I know that it was just ridiculous. Then I can ask him questions. Well, tell me why that was so bad. Like, why was that such a big deal? Why do you make such a big stink about that? Mm-hmm. Cause he's not going to go, man, you know what? That's a good point. I think I'm just being emotionally immature. And then pillar four, as he goes into victim mindset, then you can see, oh, he's being unhealthy on all of these areas. And at that point, there's nothing that you need to do. Yeah. Then what they often see is that, oh, my partner violates all of those pillars. So I'm not going to try to change how they're showing up or what they're doing. I just realized now they are literally like breaking all these communication tools. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boring though, right? <laughs> I think it also says a lot. Like you said, she wants to go to therapy. Yeah. They're clearly 
problems in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Anyone with eyes can see it. Yeah. She's making the moves to fix it. And he doesn't want to. Point blank period. Like, that's just not someone that you need to be with. How do we get that point across, Sid? Because to me, I mean, I feel bad saying that at times. But it's like if somebody is unwilling to even work on it and you are working on it, sometimes I feel like that's kind of about all the data you need. It is. It really is. And, like, I know that, like, saying that there's going to be comments that are like, you don't know the whole situation. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a point. Where if you're putting in all this effort and you're getting none of it back, that's just not normal. Right. You shouldn't have to do that. When we were talking before about the things that, and I love this concept where uh, if something happened to me legally, I'm going to go to an attorney and if they say, here's what you need to do, I'm not going to say, mm, I don't think so. I wouldn't tell the judge that it really happened this way or, you know, I'm paying somebody who this is what they do. I mean, they are passionate mm-hmm. about this. So, and I know there are bad therapists. Boy, I know that there are bad therapists out there, but they're also like really good evidence-based therapeutic models. Where then if I'm saying to somebody, no, both people really need to show up and learn how to sit with their discomfort and admit that they don't know what they don't know and then dig into their, you know, how did I see communication modeled as a kid? And if one person is saying, I don't think we need to go to therapy, but our relationship is bad. I mean, that's the part where I feel confident in saying that is a really that's going to be a real challenge moving forward. That is a very big problem. Yeah, it it is. It just is like that's the part where I know as a therapist that, yeah, if one person can go to therapy and I have plenty of people that do that, but I'm teaching that person how to advocate for themselves, you know, learn how to stay present and calm so that they don't get into that amygdala hijack. No, it's, you know what it's like? Sorry to cut you off. It's like if someone broke their arm and you're like, okay, we could go to the hospital, but maybe it'll heal itself. True. Right. And that's what people say. Yeah. Shit. You put it like that. It is. You, you have resources available. Yeah. Use them. Yeah. And that's why I feel like when people will even say, well, no, the work I'm doing is I'm still showing up. I'm still in this relationship. That's like not the work. You know, just That's so easy. It is. It is. <laughs> it's so simple to exist. Yeah, it is. You want a high vibe. Oh. <laughs> All right. Okay. We need With to move that, on, right? Let's yes. get into the next story. Okay, but this is fun. This okay. one, my jaw dropped to the floor. DNA tests revealed my dad is not my biological father. Mom is still lying about it. Man. You don't even know, bro. And I've had, I've literally had these, Sid. Really? Yeah. Okay, go. This is going to be a long one, so buckle up. A little background, I'm going to be 30 in a couple of months. I have two older sisters that are half-siblings. We share the same mother. She was married before getting together with my dad. I also have a younger brother that I thought was my full sibling. There are a number of reasons I have wanted to get a DNA test, but never had the guts to do so until recently. I never talked about this with anyone other than my spouse, but two years ago, I went to my brother and asked if he would do a DNA test with me, which would reveal if we are full or half siblings. I wanted the DNA test because I do not have a father listed on my birth certificate. When my mom was pregnant with me, she didn't tell anyone until she was about six months along. She was not with anyone at the time, so family members asked a lot of questions about who the father was, and she never gave it up. No one was there at the hospital when I was born. I feel like there's a joke about not giving it up. Just going to let you sit in that one. And I don't feel good about it. No one was there at the hospital when I was born. She has told stories or answered questions I've had as a kid or an adult where things don't really add up. Mm. And my mom lies all the time. I honestly won't even believe her if she told me the sky were blue. So two months ago, my brother and I finally went forth and did the DNA test. 
As no surprise, sure enough, we are half-siblings. This wasn't shocking to me, but obviously I had a lot of questions. My mom at this point still had no idea we took the test, so I asked my sisters who were 7 and 10 at the time I was born if they knew anything from her pregnancy when I was born, when I was growing up, etc. They gave me all the information they could as well as another family member. At this point, I called my dad, let him know we took a DNA test, and he told me he always knew and that it would change nothing. Let it be known, it also changes nothing for me. I just wanted to know if my mom was really lying to me all of these years. I started asking questions, piecing together information. Turns out, when my mom and dad got together, she was 23 and he was about 12 years old. They were not officially together. Wait, 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 12? 12 years. In my mind, I heard 12 years older. Old, period. Okay. Yeah. They were not officially together. But she definitely started the grooming process at that point. He went on to get emancipated and started couch surfing, often living at her house. When he was 17, they broke up. He moved on, and next thing you know, she comes in and says, I'm six months pregnant and it's yours. She had spent years grooming him and making him whatever she wanted him to be, to the point where he would believe anything she said. He fully believed I was his child, so he moved in. He didn't go to the hospital when I was born because he was underage. He was never listed on my birth certificate mm. because my mom had some story about how it was illegal. It was illegal. Now we say, yeah. It was illegal. Anyways, when I was three years old, they officially split and he started asking for visitation with me. My mom said no, so my dad was going to take it to court. And that's when my mom revealed that he was not the biological father. Knowing this, he went back to be with my mom because that's the only way he would be in my life. A year and a half later, they had my brother and went on to stay together until 2012 when they officially split for good. Never married or anything, but still a very nasty split. My dad also let me know during the time he was living with her off and on after he was emancipated, she would throw parties at the house and all the young boys in the neighborhood would come over and basically do whatever they wanted. He gave me a name of who my potential father could be. And since all of this has come out, I have had family and friends come to me and give me another name of who it could be. I believe it's either one of these two people, but that's not really what's important here. Having all of this information under my belt, I finally confronted my mom. I told her I did the DNA test, why I did the DNA test, and what the results were. At first she laughed, laughed, told me to stop joking, and called me a brat. When I sent her the legitimate results, she said it was impossible. DNA test was wrong and I needed to do it again. Mm -hmm. She has spent the last two months making me feel crazy, telling me the DNA test was incorrect. I did a paternity test as well, which gave me the same result to which she says is wrong. She said my dad somehow forged the results to persuade me away from her. There have been so many lies I've learned over the last 30 years. She is a classic narcissist through and through. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, I didn't do this test because I wanted to know if my dad was my biological father. I wanted to know if my mom truly lied about it for the past 30 years. Family members, friends of hers, and even neighbors I grew up next to have come forward and said she has spoken to them about this years and years ago. Everyone assumed that I already knew and were shocked that I was just now finding out. I have so many emotions regarding all of this. My head is reeling over the fact that I don't know who my biological father is. Obviously major trust issues considering my mom lied for 30 years and is still lying. I'm having a little bit of an identity crisis because I'm like, who am I? And it's just been so overwhelming. I'm hoping this is a place I can come to vent, maybe get support through people who understand crazy parents, and I'd also like a little validation that I'm not crazy and that two DNA tests are going to be accurate. Wow. 
Yeah. Oh, she's not crazy. She's not at all. And the DNA tests do not lie, but her mom does. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. That is crazy. I pulled up an article of something that I've been working on that I think might give a little bit more and might help make sense of what's going on. Mm -hmm. But man, I feel bad. I'm just like in shock for her to not know who your father is and then to find out that your mom is a groomer. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that put a whole different spin on it. And then for her to laugh in your face. That is insane. Have we ever talked about confabulation? Does that one ring a bell? Mm -hmm. Okay. So confabulation. Narcissists or emotionally immature people often disassociate or erase memories and are amnesiac because of their contact with the world that is through a fictitious construct, the false self. So they do not experience reality directly. They experience it through this distorted lens. And then I could go into like where that lens is formed in childhood. But this is what I worry or I feel bad that she's experiencing. It says this lens requires them to eliminate any information that challenges their grandiose self-perception and the narrative they've constructed about themselves. Because if she admits that she was grooming some kids since he was 12, if the mom does, I mean, she that can't be it. It can't be that she was that person. So then they eliminate that information that challenges their grandiose self-perception. So that narrative is necessary for them to be able to explicate, excuse, or legitimize their self-centered or exploitive behaviors, choices, that sort of thing. So this is like the crazy part about confabulation, that in an attempt to compensate for the gaps in memory, they confabulate, meaning they invent plausible plugins and scenarios of how things might, could, or should have plausibly occurred. And so then to everybody else, I think this like speaks to her experience, the fictional stop gaps appears lies, but to the narcissist or emotionally immature, they believe in their reality. So they may not actually remember what happened, but it couldn't have happened in any other way than the way they needed to happen in order to fit the narrative that they've created. So it cannot be that she groomed somebody. So in 30 years, she's confabulated this narrative. And it's weird, Sid, because I think people often say, but she knows so that that, that really didn't happen. But there's a belief that when somebody has emotionally immaturely been creating a different narrative for 30 years, that they really believe that's what happened. Isn't that a trip? If that's really what's going on here, that is actually insane, like the power of the mind. It is. it is Because she has a literal child that is proof that she was like... Okay, well, let me tell you the craziest story, and I'll change some of the details because this is very true. But a long time ago, I worked with somebody that they did not have kids, but one of them had had a kid out of wedlock in their high school years. So then I'm seeing them and this couple together has not had a kid, but they talked about this kid that one of them had had out of wedlock that had given up for adoption a long time ago. So then fast forward literally like 10, 12, 13 years later, then I see them, they come back in for some counseling. And now at this point they have a bunch of kids, six kids or something like that. And so then I, the therapist is a human. I want to hear more about, did they ever find out like where's, what's the status of this kid that was given up back in high school? And the person who was more involved in having this kid in high school, they claimed to have no idea what, what I'm talking about to the point where I thought, maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe I've, maybe I'm thinking of a wrong couple back in the day. And then I talked with their spouse individually a few weeks later and I said, Hey, am I crazy? Or didn't your spouse was involved with the kid in high school that they gave up for adoption? And this person started bawling and saying, yeah, but they don't, they think it hasn't happened. And so then the more you learned about confabulation, so they gave this kid up for adoption, then they get married and then they don't have kids. And then they end up having like six kids. And then it's almost like they have a snap inside where they just think, oh my gosh, like kids actually require a lot of work and attention. And they don't go away. And they don't go away. And so then it's almost like the person had to confabulate a narrative of, oh, I didn't do this to my other one. 
Like mm-hmm. I did, that didn't happen. Because facing it is too facing hard it. for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the part where, and I remember when I heard that and I went and spoke at this conference and I was kind of given this example and I said, it's as if, cause you know, your mom and I are high school sweethearts. Can you like put in there the all right? Whenever you edit this. <laughs> but it's almost like if, if then somebody then presented us with a picture of the two of us holding some little kid and they're like, whatever happened to that kid you guys had in high school? Cause I, I did not like we didn't. So it would be the same thing. That's why gaslighting is so powerful because I would literally think you Photoshopped that, you know, mm-hmm. because I would have had to create a narrative that there's no way that happened because mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that because I've got four kids now and they're awesome and I'm a great dad. So I would have had to have confabulated. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. The brain is really fascinating. Yeah. Because like that kind of reminds me of what is that one? Is it a mental illness where something really traumatizing happens to you as a child and yeah. then your brain fully like separates yourself from yeah, that, like a, creates a new personality. Yeah, it's like a dissociative identity disorder, like, DID. It used to be multiple personalities. To protect, it's to protect, it's to protect you, protect right? You. Yeah, so even the people that have like a lot of, you know, a lot of Alters, different personalities, yeah. yeah, that it's because your brain breaks off these exiled emotions and then it puts these protectors in front of them. So you want to face that, that difficulty that, mm-hmm. you know, you could have been abandoned, you could have been molested, you could have been hurt. So the brain will do some pretty wild things. I just listened to this podcast where it was talking about, you know, bringing up hidden memory. And even in the therapy world, there's some controversy there because if somebody comes in, I, I mean, I had this recently where somebody said, I've had a little bit of memory about some things that happened in my childhood, but it doesn't really bring up a lot for me. But I was telling one of my siblings and they said, you should probably go deal with that. And the person came in and they said, but I, but I think I'm okay. And I realized in that moment, cause I've been doing this for a long time. If I wanted to feel like a good therapist, then I could, you know, I could be like, mm, yeah, we probably should, you know? And then if they tell me a little bit of their story and then they say, but I don't remember anything after you can see how easy it is for a therapist to almost go like, mm, well, that's because your brain blocked it out. So that means probably something did happen. So we need to talk about that. And if the person's like, okay, I don't know if it did, but they want the validation from the therapist, mm-hmm. you know? So then all of a sudden they're like, I mean, I, I do think that my brother was always a little bit off with me, you know, when in reality it's like, well, maybe he's just like a, a brother, a, you know, kind of a, just like. There's a whole nother side to it. Uh-huh. Confabulating yourself getting like assaulted. Yeah. So that, that, that sounds that's, crazy. No, so that's like this podcast that I, that your mom and I listen to. I, I, I don't think I've ever devoured a podcast faster in my life, but it's about a case over in Australia where a mom and a dad are spending the longest time in jail ever for, and I'm not, and again, I don't know, I, but the podcast was presented really well where one of their kids says this ritualized abuse happened for years. And then some of the other ones say, it couldn't like we were in the same house mm-hmm. and then people used to go there all the time and and there isn't really corroborating evidence but there's a therapist involved so it's so wild especially to, to be a therapist and to know like there are times where if i really wanted you know if i wanted to try to manipulate somebody you got these vulnerable people in mm-hmm. but again i've also worked with plenty of people that have been traumatized you know and here's another layer to that at some point if your brain has fully convinced yourself of that then is it real? Like if the effects of it, like let's say that, and I don't like saying this, let's say like it didn't happen. Right. But if she fully believes in her confabulated memory that it did, Mm -hmm. then I guess it's real. And then maybe she still does need therapy to overcome it. And that's, it's all just really crazy. It's That part is wild because I don't want anybody hearing this to think that, I mean, that's why we, we typically side for sure on the, the side of the of person, course. right? Because of you don't want to get that one wrong, you know? I mean, it's just like when you're dealing with people that have suicidal thoughts or ideations and, you know, the data typically says that's a cry for help, but who wants to be wrong about that? Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. you know? So no, this stuff is fascinating to me. And it really is. But to this girl, so I had a case one time where the person came into me and they had a similar experience that they found out and their mom denied it as well. But the thing that I want to say is like, uh, I've always wanted to reach out to somebody that worked at one of those uh, ancestry.com or 23andMe because this person told me that they called and they said, hey, so it says that my dad isn't my dad. So I'm guessing that the, you know, things got uh, mistaken, you know, in the DNA test. And this person told me that they literally like kind of said, okay, hang on a second. And they have a department that is there to deal with that because this stuff happens so often now. And I know, right? Because they were kind of like, ooh, let me put you on hold for a second. And then the person says, yeah, there must have been a mistake. And then my client said that they told them, "Um, yeah, there's about a 0.0000001% chance we made a mistake. So I appreciate what she's saying, though, because I think it is a concept where in this day and age, I mean, you're going to kind of find out. And there's even things like genetic tests that one needs to take for health and genetic markers and that sort of thing, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You cannot hide. No. So I don't know if we helped her. I Oh, yeah, she's not crazy. Her mom is, I believe, confabulating a narrative that it couldn't happen that way. And then I think people can argue, and they typically do, say no, they know. And it's like, you know what, maybe. But just from my experiences, they've had to create a narrative because that's that severe emotional immaturity of the narcissist, really. Mm -hmm. I think that for this one, we should focus on the topic of chosen family and... This doesn't have to be your mom if you don't want it to be. Oh, I like that. I love that the dad is saying that, hey, I'm, it doesn't matter. Like that's exactly like that's that guy. You, I truly, truly believe that you choose your family and that, yeah. that does not have to be your mom. No, so that, you know what's it's just okay. some random crazy lady. <laughs> what's crazy about that is like, that is one of those questions that I think I get more than I ever thought as a therapist of when people don't. You know, it's like they keep going back to their family of origin, even when they're abusive or emotionally abusive or because they're like, but that's my family. No. And right. And I always say, okay, well, then you learn to uh, differentiate from your family. And if you're feeling like what's wrong with me because of the way that they're making you feel, that's a them issue. Mm -hmm. So you have your data. Find a find a healthier relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Next story. Okay. Where are we going? Did he cheat or did I catch an STD from a koala? Oh, he cheated. Next. A koala? Are you ready? Yeah. Like, these are real, right? These are real. Koala, like, is that a hip phrase? Koala, yeah. Koala is a very hard street drug. Okay. (laughs) I don't believe you. He is a 27-year-old woman. My husband, male, 28, and I have been together for five years after being friends for most of my teenage years. We have two sons, and this takes place in March of 2020 when I was three months pregnant with my second child. I had gone to my 13-week scan follow-up after the ultrasound alerted something wasn't right. I fully expected the worst, but my GP... General practitioner. Okay. But my GP just said they could see something on the scans with my fallopian tubes. Nothing was wrong with baby and wanted to get bloods and swabs done. When the results came back... My GP called me to come in urgently. That's when she showed me that my tests had returned positive for chlamydia. I was shocked, and my GP knew I had been with my husband for years. She was my doctor all the way back when my first son was born. She knew all of our history. She straight up asked me if our relationship was monogamous, and I, of course, said yes. She gave me the rundown of treatments and scripts, telling me that my husband would need to come be tested as well to confirm before he too would likely need to be treated, all with a look of pity. She was thinking it. I was thinking it. I'm thinking it. I'm thinking it. My partner had cheated on me and given me an STD. Yeah. 
I'm furious and heartbroken, but I go home and take a long hot shower, scrubbing myself clean. Then I sit down in our home, our family photo hung on the wall, mocking me, and call him. He's at work, and I'm crying on the phone, explaining that I've just been to the doctors and gotten results that I'm positive for chlamydia. And how could he do this? You bastard. All the works. I hang up, and he is calling me over and over, but I'm trying to calm down as I have to collect our son from daycare and still be put together as a mother somehow. I ignore his calls and go about my day utterly crushed. I'm giving our son dinner when he comes home. He comes in the house, sets his stuff down loudly, and throws his keys at the wall. Oh, he's mad. He sees that I've got our son, so he just walks into the bedroom and slams the door, and I hear the shower run. I'm confused and even more hurt because I don't know what I was expecting, but this wasn't it. I finish feeding our son in bed routine, then settle him to sleep. It's about 8 p.m. now, and I'm exhausted, but I go to the room to talk to my husband, and he's sitting on the bed, holding his head in his hands, crying. I walk over to him and say that, I don't know how you could do this to me and our family, but you've given me an STD and you also need to get tested and take this medication. He looks at me, eyes red raw, yelling that I am a sick and twisted person for cheating on him, getting an STD and then blaming him for it. Oh boy. Crap. This got longer than I thought and I have to put the rest in another post. Yeah, when's the wall of air come? Part two. Sorry, this got long. I'm just trying to explain it all clearly. So my husband is upset and visibly shaking and I can't fathom what he's saying. He thinks I'm the one who has been unfaithful and I'm just furious. I have never cheated and I hate cheating. It's a disgusting act to do to someone you love. But he is adamant that he also never strayed, and our argument ends with us waking up our son. So I go to settle him. When I came out, he had packed a bag and was leaving. He said he was going to stay with his parents for a bit. He left, and I cried all night. The next few weeks were hell. He tested positive, obviously, both of us accusing each other. It got to the point that I asked if he wants to separate because I didn't see how this could be resolved since neither of us would own up. He said he would tell me the answer if the pregnancy I was carrying truly was his after the paternity test. We went and got the test and of course it was his child. We went to therapy, which never really solved anything. He eventually moved back in. All of our history combined with knowing that at the end of the day, I loved this man and didn't want a broken family was a big part of why I eventually decided to just accept that he cheated and wouldn't own up to it. We just moved on with life. Sure, a little less sunshine and joy-like. I loved him and a part of me thought him admitting it would be worse. I'd want to know names, faces, details, and ugh. As more time went by, I became okay with leaving it. So it's more than two and a half years later now, and Adam is scrolling through TikTok when this reel with Robert Irwin comes on. He was talking- crocodile hunter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't he get eaten by a crocodile too? Uh, He got pierced like his chest by a a stingray or something. Oh. Yeah. He was talking about how the biggest threat to koala populations is chlamydia. I swear if a light bulb appeared in his head, it would have shone out of his ears because I saw him start to piece things together. He now has come to the conclusion that he thinks he did give me chlamydia, but not through cheating. This is where I'm just wowser at. Here's part three. Okay, back in mid to late 2019, there was huge bushfires in QLD. Queensland, so he's in Australia. In September, Adam and I attended the Bohemian Beat Freaks Festival. And along our drive into camp, we came across so many koalas that had been displaced. The event was nearly canceled due to fires burning near the site in the weeks prior. So did he connect with one and make a sweet, passionate love to one? 
Come on. <laughs> so these koalas were just by the side of the road, exhausted. We know why. <laughs> At one point, we pulled over and Adam grabbed some water for these poor guys. A little more than just water. <laughs> stop. I'm going to stop. <laughs> okay. I love koalas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why make them the bad guys here? One little fella was so thirsty and exhausted, he was just holding onto my partner's arm as he drank. And yes, Adam picked this koala up and gave him a cuddle. And yes, the koala proceeded to pee all over his shirt and arm. We laughed it off, moved him off the road track, and continued on. Now being a festival in the middle of a bush, there are only showers that you pay for. We were not planning on using it to shower until the last day. He had taken off the shirt and washed his hands with bottled water. We arrived and set up camp and then went to party and forgot about the koala completely. Over those days, we had sex a lot. Was he still covered in pee? Oof. Yeah, writing this down right? now, I realize how gross it all sounds, but that's the culture of Aussie bush doofs. And we were young parents who had a rare break from our son. Okay. <laughs> so we go down a rabbit hole of research and find out that yes, you can catch it from koalas. Me. Adam is so fast to make an appointment at our GP's office. We show up and explain everything, and even she agreed with him. Oh boy. That yes, it is possible. That is where the STD could have originated from. We were completely asymptomatic, so we could have had it from then, and then it was only detected during my pregnancy. So now we have an explanation, and my husband is all for it. He says it all makes sense, and I can see how he has changed since then. He is more relaxed with me, more trusting, but a part of me, having thought it was from him being unfaithful, has stuck. Our relationship has still been okay these last few years, but I'll admit it's been strained. Our sex life dwindled a lot, and we both became almost toxic with each other in terms of who the other was talking to or texting, always feeling on edge when the other was out alone, etc. He would randomly come out with, you can tell me the truth and I'll still love you, so many times that would spark an argument, etc. And our friends who knew the story have dished us long ago, thinking that one of us was a cheater and the other was stupid for staying. We learned to keep this part of our our lives private to avoid all the bullcrap. Since finding this out, it's like my husband has changed again. He is back to the loving, affectionate, caring man he was before this started. He has accepted this explanation so easily. But now, how do I wrap my head around that my husband did in fact give me chlamydia, but from a fucking koala? And how do we undo all the toxic crap that has been between us and move into a healthier, trusting relationship? I still in ways feel as if he's cheated on me and I'm not able to completely let this go because truly, unless he says differently, I'll never really know and this seems too convenient to the whole situation to put me at ease. I just don't know. It sounds crazy, but this has been my life for nearly three years with this new information stressing me out again this last six odd months. Okay, Sid. I still wanna, have I updates. I want to hear because I just Googled and I was like, man, so first of all, yeah, they can get it just like people do sexual transmission, but also young koalas become infected by eating pap. A nutritious type of feces. Ew. Excreted by the mom, um, according to a study published. Anyway. So Tony's hitting us with the koala fun fact. Well, okay, but then I can't wait to hear this because I got to tell you, I found some more stuff by 10 seconds of Googling on the internet. Yeah. That is, there's different types of chlamydia. Scientists respond to this. Okay. Yeah, suspicious. I love that scientists are really chiming in for real. Yeah. You cannot take anything to Reddit without it getting dissected. That's beautiful. So before we get into her update, this is the top comment on this post. And it says, here's the bad news. Technically, 
technically, it is possible for koalas to transmit chlamydia to humans, but not the STD. Thank you, you see, very much. What we call chlamydia is just one bacteria of many. Koalas can contract and spread two types of chlamydia, chlamydia pecorum yeah. and chlamydia pneumonia or something. Yeah. Neither of these is the same bacteria as the sexually transmitted disease in humans. That is chlamydia trachomatis. Yo, you guys, we have so many letters. Could we just change the name? But what's funny is like I'd never heard this in my life and two seconds of Googling and we yeah. got the answer, right? It says that chlamydia from koala bears is a respiratory infection, not an STD. It's a common infection. So now let's go on to her final update. Okay. After I would say, though, that I no longer have like a bucket list item to hug a koala bear. Was hugging a koala specifically on your bucket list No, before? I think I even got them confused with sloths. Because remember when you were in Costa Rica and we wanted all we wanted to oh, do was see a I sloth? Oh, I sloth. Yeah, and I never... Oh, I saw one. We saw one. We yeah. stood under the tree and just stared at it for like 15 minutes, just watching it do absolutely nothing. nothing. Okay. Hey, all, me again. Koala chlamydia girl, I'm back. That's a rough nickname. <laughs> I hope no one cuts that. That's not me. I'm Sydney. <laughs> so you read my post, and most of you thought that my husband didn't cheat and gave me a lot of advice to think through. I sat my husband down last evening and spoke about how I'm feeling now that we know the truth. I talked about how much pain I've been put through with him accusing me and vice versa, and I apologized for my part in things, told him how much I loved him and how happy I was to finally put this to rest, and now we both know there's nothing between us. And then he starts fidgeting and getting upset. And he tells me that he cheated. Hang on. Let me do this one. Shocker. I thought you were doing like white noise for a second. No, nope, no. Nope, that was that much of a shocker. Hang on. Let me do a spit take. That was such a crazy <laughs> thing. Keep that away. Yep. I know. But he still didn't give me the STD, he says. In the months after finding out, yes, our relationship was in a really bad place. When he wasn't living at home at the time, he went out and had a one-night stand with a girl from a pub in the town over. Man. He explained that he genuinely believed that I cheated. Okay, okay. Wow, this sucks. Okay. Yes, our relationship was in a really bad place. When he wasn't living at home at that time, he went out and had a one-night stand with a girl from a pub in the town over. He explained that he genuinely believed that I cheated, and after a few drinks, he decided he was going to end things with me. So he went ahead with sleeping with this girl. It was his way of tit for tat. Plus, he was convinced that our baby wasn't his from everything. Basically, he was really in a broken place. But the next day, we met up, and this was the day I brought up separating. And he said that instantly he had regret and felt as if things were even now. He decided he would stay if I did a paternity test and the baby was his, which he was. He thought that if I was never going to tell him I cheated, he would never tell me either. He only told me now because he realized how stupid he was and wishes he could take it back, but can't, and now this koala knowledge has left him feeling guilty. I asked about the girl, and he says he only knows her first name, hasn't had contact with her since, and she means nothing. But my god, this blows. Remember how I said in my post that since finding out, my husband is back to his caring affection itself? Well, now I know why. He was trying to make up for his mess up. And people were mad at me for not instantly accepting that my STD could have come from a koala. But I swear, there was a part of me that instinctively knew this. Maybe that's why I was holding on. It all feels hollow. I feel numb. I'm sitting on a park bench right now while our sons play and I just don't even know what to do. Cheating is a deal breaker for me and I never slept with anyone. I never considered a payback tit for tat move against him. So why did he do 
do it to me. I'm heartbroken, and a part of me wishes we could go back before all of this happened. I can't break up my family. We have two kids, two dogs, two cats, two cars, and a house together. It would be a mess, but I don't know how to take this on now. He could have told me this six months ago when we first found out about this new possibility, but he didn't. He waited until I poured my heart out to him in apology to dump on me this confession. I can't look at him right now, and he knows it. I guess I'll take a few days to process and then decide things, but I'll probably stay. I love him so much, even though this has broken a little part of me, I just found again. Oh well, life will work out, right? Edit. I get a lot of people here are invested in this. I understand it's fucking nuts. I get that a lot of people are now convinced my husband is some sick sadist, but I genuinely do not believe that to be true. I don't think he manipulated me for years. I don't think he gave me the STD or cheated before all of that crap happened. I do believe the STD came from the koala. Why admit to things now if not? Before, yeah, he felt justified, but now he thinks he is an idiot for doing what he did. I believe him when he says it was the only time it's ever happened, and if people think me for a fool, that's okay. I'm processing this all in my own time regardless, but the way I see it, we had a really unfortunate thing happen, and the STD planted doubt, and he fucked up. But the way it came out shows me that my husband is dedicated. Mm. I'm airing all of my feelings and this man who has let this eat at him for years because he genuinely believed I cheated also finally told me this truth now so that we can have a shot at going forward with nothing between this. He has told me he won't blame me if I want to leave. He thinks I should think everything through and make my decision regardless of everything we have together now. He knows that everything would change by telling me that he didn't have to. But it's a con okay, sorry, I'm interrupting myself. He didn't have to, and the timing shows me he is genuine. But now he knows that he is the only one here in the wrong. Man, I really skipped over writing about our actual conversation when he confessed, but it wasn't manipulative at all. It was raw and ugly, and in no way did he blame me. He only kept repeating, I really thought you cheated. And I'm a fucking idiot, and I'm so sorry. I'm going to take the advice of a few people who said I should take a break. I've asked him to go stay at his parents whilst I think things through and take time. And yes, I did say that cheating was a deal breaker for me, but my actions have shown otherwise. So that's something I've learned about myself. Maybe that was just an ideal that a younger me that viewed the world in black and white held on to, but now I've experienced how life has much more to it, and I guess now that it's not the case anymore. Another person said that the stages of grief aren't linear and it seems as if I've started at acceptance. Maybe that's true too. Either way, a break, some hard conversations with therapists and my own choice will be the determining factor in the fate of my marriage. Okay. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Regardless, he cheated. But also she's choosing to stay with him and like reading that last update, we don't know the whole situation, I guess. I literally don't even know what I think about this one. What's your therapeutic okay, so, opinion? Well, and that's what's funny is I've been doing this for a long time. And so you just start to see these things that seem to typically line up in unhealthy relationships. And one of those being, and I really tried to stay present with this, but she had chlamydia. That's like the beginning. And then he then thinks that she cheats mm -hmm. and he wouldn't take ownership of anything. And so that's where I, f I find people will just double, triple, quadruple down on, I did not do it. The ga That's gaslighting. And gaslighting is a childhood defense mechanism. It still goes back from the point where if that person did not see taking ownership as something that they saw modeled and, and especially something that would, he has a fear that then she will leave if, if he does. 
Now we start getting back into a little bit of that confabulation. And so then he's convinced that at some point he couldn't have done that. So then here comes the koala bear thing and it eases his discomfort. And now he's all in on the koalas. But tell me if this makes sense, Sid, the we don't know what we don't know. So I'm personally obsessed with interrogation videos. I mean, my, Same. okay. And, and I've had people that are in very incredible positions where that's what they do for a living. And some of the funnest times as a therapist is when you're talking to people about the things they look for in those um, interrogation videos. And so many of them are the things that that person doesn't even understand that they are getting wrong when they're trying to pretend that something happened. So what I feel like I heard from there is that she had a legitimate STD, chlamydia, the STD. The chlamydia that koala bears give is a respiratory infection to humans because the it, that it's not the STD of chlamydia. So then when he said, okay, well, when I thought you had it because I never had it, then I went out and had an affair. So now all of a sudden he gets to say, my bad. I don't know if you still want to stay with me, but it was kind of your fault because I'm convinced that you you had the STD and that wasn't from me. But if she knows that she didn't get it from anybody else, you know, she kept saying, and yeah, I guess it was the koala, the koala, I keep on saying the koala brother. Remember that show? One of the koala brothers. There were these guys, they were here to help. And anyway, I digress. But, but are you following what I'm saying though? So are we thinking you cheated twice? Yeah. So I think that he cheated and then gave her the, and again, I don't know this, but I'm thinking he cheated, gave her chlamydia. He was unwilling to take ownership of that. He was unwilling to sit with that discomfort. So he projects and gaslights onto her. Mm -hmm. I think you did it. Matter of fact, I won a paternity test. He sees this TikTok. In my opinion. And he's like, oh, here it is. Thank God. Right. This is where I went to the, we don't know what we don't know. Because what people often do is if I would have stopped at the beginning of this article, can koalas give humans chlamydia? Yeah, they can. All of a sudden he's in. But you read down about three more paragraphs and it's like, well, what we call chlamydia is actually just a type of bacteria and they can contract and spread two types of chlamydia, this Mm -hmm. pecorum and pneumonia. Neither is the one that is sexually transmitted disease in humans. That's one called chlamydia trachomitis. So the one that the koalas typically give people, it can't be passed from koalas to humans. And that the one that we get is a respiratory infection, not an STD. Wow. So that's where I'm saying, if all of a sudden then he's like, but then I went out and had an affair. Now he's got an, an excuse and he gets to say it was her fault. Yeah. Wow. And she, I'm looking through and she never came back with another update. No. And so, so then so. that's the part where then, and then he gets to even say, now he's even put it on her. But if you want to leave and if you want to break up her family, I mean, I'll, I'll support you. So now he even gets to take that victim role on. And so now she feels bad. And that's why I was flipping over here on the. He got, oh my gosh, he got her to apologize to he him did. for cheating. Yeah. And I was looking up. Yes. Her. Twice. And, the, and this human magnet syndrome. And the author calls her and, and he, he clearly says early on, he doesn't mean, you know, codependent can sound really negative, but he's saying that that codependent and the narcissist that they experience each other as a soulmate. And he's like, but far from their conscious awareness is a deeper, darker feelings of dysfunctional familiarity. So these unconscious feelings of familiarity compel people to repeat the catch 22 relationship pattern of their childhood, needing to be loved by a person who is characteristically unable to love them. So they'll be compelled to repeat a version of their relationship with their, you know, pathologically narcissistic parent. So then I feel like that is the thing where she is going to make excuses and give him the benefit of the doubt over and over. And then he will then see this opportunity to take the one up position and go have an affair. So and then he gets to turn it back around on her and say, but I mean, if you want to break up the family, that's I mean, it's fine. I mean, but I mean, let, let's just put it out here, though, that I did this because of you I mean, yeah, my bad. But, you know, you you're the one that had chlamydia. This guy is like 
good at this. I'm even confused. I know. And, and that's the part where, to me, I'm just saying, I could be missing something, but but this is the part where if I have these people in my office, I'm even watching them and I'm slowing it down. I'm getting the crayons out and the dry erase board going, hold on, look at this part with the chlamydia and the, it's not, did you have a respiratory infection? Well, no, I had chlamydia. Like I got the test. Okay. Then it didn't come from a koala. Now back over to you guy. And he's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean that it's from a koala cause I didn't do anything. And then, it, then the nice person in her is going to say, I mean, he's, he seems like really honest, like genuine. And then, and he told me he's sorry for then having the affair. Like, so, I mean, you know, he is a nice guy, you know? I feel so bad for this <laughs> I girl. Too. And I, like, I, I, I hope she doesn't even see this. Cause like, I mean, if she's happy, you know, she's happy, but. Well, but this gets into a whole other thing where she said, but I don't want to break up my family. And this is that part where, um. Not to get too deep into Tear this. Tear your family apart, girl. Okay, but Tear not to get too deep apart. into it. But then if if she, what happens often with the pathologically kind person who's in the relationship with the emotionally immature narcissistic person is that she'll continue to have to then try to walk on eggshells and, and take that one down position and try to read the room and how's he feeling today? And, and then a kid gets their sense of self from external validation. So if she's not able to give her best to her kids because she's continually trying to buffer for the kids or read his mood or he's like, well, but you did put me in the spot, then she's not her best self. And so that's why kids that grow up in that environment typically are little highly sensitive people because they learn to read a room. Is mom mad? Is dad mad? You know, Mm -hmm. what's going on here? And so then instead of them just being their best selves because the parents give them this validation, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a trip. Wow. Yeah. That one was crazy. That one was really crazy. It really is. Yeah. And, it, and like even in this uh, book, what I think he talks about is he says, many codependents are attracted to and maintain long-term breakup resistant relationships with pathological narcissists because they are selfless and deferential to the needs and desires of others over themselves. So they're pathologically caring, responsible and sacrificing people whose altruism and good deeds are rarely reciprocated. I mean, doesn't that seem like that? I feel like that's familiar. You know, wait, that's saying, that's the kind oh, of person. Yeah. So she puts her uh, needs yeah. second, you know sacrificing and those good deeds are rarely reciprocated. They actually end up getting turned around on her. And so that thing just, it just breaks my heart. It does. Yeah. It's like their traumas like fit together, like a puzzle piece and then just encourage each other or. And then, yeah. And then the narcissist, these people become preoccupied with opportunities to avoid change or control their partners. So then despite the suffering, they do not end their partnerships. Mm -hmm. And then it just, it, it's like the more that the kind person gives up their self and then sacrifices themselves like for their kids or mm-hmm. to not make the narcissist upset, it just gives the narcissist more more supply. Wow. And it's almost like they're fueling each other, right? Yes, they are. Because this that codependent is, person, yeah. they don't know. I mean, maybe you know you're codependent, but like they don't understand that they don't need this person. They don't understand that they're like waiting for the dopamine hits yeah. off of this person. And then the narcissist just takes complete advantage of that. Well, so exactly. and it's just like a never ending cycle. And what you just said is so spot on. Like, uh, and again, this is from the book, The Human Magnet Syndrome. It says, uh, to varying degrees, all pathological narcissists are selfish, self consumed, demanding, entitled, and controlling. They're exploitive people who rarely or selectively reciprocate any form of generosity. Um, they're only empathetic or sensitive to others when doing so results in a tangible reward for themselves or when it makes them feel valued, important, and appreciated. And because they are so deeply impacted by their own personal shame and loneliness, but they are consciously unaware of it, then they do not end relationships. Okay. Here's a question. Okay. Could 
two narcissists be together? Yeah. That happens? Yeah. I call it narcissist on narcissist crime. What ends up happening is then the, <laughs> the, the, and I'll do this with my hands for those on watch on YouTube, but you get somebody that's incredible, like the more narcissistic person. So let's take the narcissist, lesser narcissist out of it. And let's say that the incredibly emotionally immature person and then the more emotionally mature person, but they're still not coming from this differentiated place where they aren't seeking validation from others. So then when these guys finally, if they do ever break up, narcissist exits the building or the incredibly emotionally immature person exits the building. Now, here's a person that is now more emotionally immature than a quote air quote, normal person. So now they get in this relationship with somebody that says, um, hey, I'm going to go hang out with my friends this weekend. And this person says, what's your angle? You know, because mm -hmm. they're so used to if this guy saying, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And it means they're not going to go hang out with their friends. Yeah. They're going to do something that's going to be shady that, you know, mm -hmm. and they just don't want to take They just don't want to tell their partner that they're going to go, I don't know, go to some bachelor party or strip club mm -hmm. or whatever. So anyway, so now this person, now they're in a relationship with somebody more healthy. And that person says, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And they're like, what's your angle? And so they start to look crazy. Yeah. No, you I know? totally found myself. I don't, I mean, I wasn't dating a narcissist, but yeah. I totally found myself like I used to date a guy and like it was constantly, where are you? What are you doing? And then I'm doing it back. Where right. are you? Who are you that's with? That's the good, that's and a good example. I'm talking to someone new and it's like, I have to consciously keep myself from yeah. doing that. And yeah. it's like, I know I wasn't originally that person, but, or maybe I was, I don't know. I, but, you're, I mean, that's where you're made to feel that crazy. Yeah. It's like you do get a little leftover. Yeah. A little so, leftover yeah. narcissism right, from yeah, that. Yeah. And you have to be aware of that. And You do. Yeah. So, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Sadly, we're not going to have enough time for I sh myself four times in rush hour traffic tonight. So. Can we do that one another time though? Because <laughs> you know that I have a little bit of that IBS. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I have a, actually, no, I'm not even going to get into that right we'll now. We'll save that for uh, another time. We're not going to save that conversation oh. for any other time, okay. actually. Fair enough. All right. Um, thanks, you. Thanks, you guys, for watching. That was embarrassing. Um, we'll have new episodes out as soon as possible. Sid, I only want to do this every single day now. Like yeah, this, this is, is fun. This is, this is so fun. This is what I do every day in my office here without being able to like go over things with you. It's mm -hmm. kind of fun. And I've never had a koala brother have chlamydia either. Not yet. Not yet. You no. never know. Now you'll be prepared. It's a very good point. You, you watch. Tomorrow, it's going to, I guarantee, mm -hmm. it's going to happen. Okay. See you guys. Bye. Thank you. See next time. Oh, weird. Weird, uncomfortable ending. Bye. Guys. Bye. <laughs>